For the sake of our guest, we have been in a study uh, of the book of Hebrews, and uh, we are presently in uh, chapter 11, that great hall of fame of faith, and this morning I will actually uh, complete a message that I began last Sunday, entitled, Passing the Baton of Faith uh, to My Child, and our focus is verses 11, I'm sorry, verses 20 through 22, 20 through 22 of Hebrews chapter 11. So let's read those, and then I just want to briefly, and I'm talking about very briefly, uh, review what we covered uh, last week. If you missed that message, uh, you can go to the church website, edgewoodbaptistchurch.us. You can hear that message there on the website uh, to get all of the information we shared last week, all the truth. But uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20, 21, and 22. And this follows, of course, uh, a wonderful highlighting of the faith of Abraham and Sarah. It says, By faith, Isaac, who of course was the son of Abraham and Sarah, blessed Jacob and Esau, who were his sons, even regarding things to come. And then by faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worship, leaning on the top of his staff. Uh, By faith, uh, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel, uh, something that was to take place hundreds of years in the future. Uh, But God had revealed this uh, to Abraham, who had passed that on, and uh, Joseph always held that faith, and so he gave them instructions that when that time came, concerning his bones, meaning that he wanted them to take his remains from Egypt and bury them in the promised land that he knew God would one day uh, give uh, to them. Now, look in your sermon notes. Again, very brief review. Look at the very first statement that is just sort of a summary statement. In verses 8 through 19, as we already mentioned, we see Abraham and Sarah who ran with endurance the race God set before them. In verses 20 through 22, we see they relayed the baton of faith to their son Isaac, who in turn passed it to Jacob, who in turn passed it to Joseph and his other sons and grandchildren. We too must see the importance of passing the baton of faith to the next generation. Parenting is a relay race in which parents are to hand off to their children the essentials they need to live a life of faith. And then last week, we looked at the characteristics of the nature of faith, the characteristics of the faith that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob passed to their children, that same faith we need to pass on to our children or to the next generation. First, It was a faith that sees the promised future God offers, which changes the believer's desires to value God more than anything this world has to offer. And then the second characteristic we saw of the faith they passed on was a faith that seeks God and the fulfillment of His promises, which changes the believer's direction uh, in life to put him out of sync with the world. You know, that's where they talked about them being aliens, strangers, pilgrims. This world was not their home. Their citizenship was in heaven. And then third, faith satisfaction is found in God alone. 
and the fulfillment of His promises, which changes the believer's destination so that nothing short of heaven fully satisfies. Now, folks, we don't need to make this complicated as we review. What you desire will determine the direction of your life because you are going to pursue what you value most. That's an inescapable law of life. You are going to pursue what you value most, what you desire. And then it is very obvious that the direction that you're moving in is going to what? Reveal your ultimate destination. Therefore, if you desire God and value God more than anything else, it's obvious you're going to what? You're going to pursue God. You're going to seek God, which will not only determine the direction of your life towards God to walk hand in hand with Him in harmony with His character and His conduct, but of course it's also going to determine your final destination. Authentic faith in God changes a person at the very core of his being. It changes his desires. It changes his direction. It changes his destinations, which will be reflected in godly character, godly conduct and pursuits. This is the kind of faith we want to pass on to the next generation. Amen? Not just something we talk about, but a faith that we live out before their eyes. Next, we began to look, and we didn't get very far, but we began to look at, well, how do you pass on the baton of faith uh, to, uh, to my child? And the first thing that we saw is, if you're ever going to do this successfully as a parent, as a discipler, as a grandparent, I mean, basically, we're all to be influencers, we're all to be world changers involved in passing that uh, faith on to the next generation. If we're going to do it, we have to target God's purpose in the training of my child, which is being resolved. In other words, no one ever is able to accomplish this without being resolved, without being determined, without being intentional, without being deliberate. So I have to target God's purpose in the training of my child. We looked at Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And we focused on that verb, train up, which in the Hebrew text is the word kanak, and it has two fundamental meanings. And the first fundamental meaning is to dedicate my child to the Lord, as you see there in your notes, to dedicate my child to the Lord. Matter of fact, three other times in the Old Testament, this very verb was used of dedicating something to the Lord. Once a temple, once a home was dedicated to the Lord. So one of the meanings of this word is to dedicate, set something apart to accomplish God's purposes. And this is where we focused on the fact that my child is what? A gift from God and an exciting gift. We talked about the excitement of a new baby and the wonderful joy of being able to unwrap that gift and to learn the unique distinctives about that child. And we talked about the fact that uh, since we are created in the image of God but marred by sin, our children come to us with some both good bents and bad bents. And it's my 
job as a parent to study my child, to, to discover his unique or her unique personality and temperament, uh, gifts, and, and th those good things to reinforce that uh, and to train them up according to that. But, of course, the bad bents, of course, to try to steer them away, to, to bring correction, to try to bring change through their lives by the grace of God. And then we saw that my child has a destiny to fulfill. Uh, we talked about Psalm 127 where it says children are a gift from God and they're like arrows in the hand of a warrior. And just like an arrow has a target to hit, your child has a target to hit. God has a plan for your child, a destiny for your child to fulfill. And that's exciting to realize. And we talked about the importance of beginning to pray for your child uh, even before they're born, as they're in the womb. And, uh, and I even suggested several things for you to pray for them about. And if you want one great prayer to pray for your children on a regular basis, it would be the prayer in Colossians chapter 1. I believe it begins at verse 9. It, it says, I pray that they would be filled with the knowledge of what God has already willed for their lives, that they might walk worthy of God to please Him in every aspect of their lives, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in their knowledge of God. Wouldn't that be a wonderful prayer to pray for your child on a regular basis? Kathy and I uh, prayed that prayer for every one of our children uh, from the time they were in their wombs to present. We still pray that prayer for Jonathan, Christy, Jamie, Carrie, Joe, Catherine, Carol, Carla, Caitlin, and Carissa. And, uh, and then as they married, they're married partners, and then for our grandchildren. And so uh, uh, it's so important to realize uh, the power in prayer and to uh, go to God in believing prayer on behalf of your child or your grandchild, knowing that God has the power to secure their hearts and lives, that not one would be lost to the world, to the flesh of the devil, but be captured by him. And then we saw that my child is a stewardship uh, that I am accountable to God for. Uh, this child is a gift from God to me, and God has given me the wonderful opportunities a parent to manage the upbringing of that child, to raise that child in the admonition and nurture of the Lord. Now, again, folks, I, I want to emphasize, I've never believed that there's an ironclad guarantee in parenting, that if you did everything right, that your child is going to turn out perfect. Uh, I don't believe that because... Look at our relationship with God. God has prodigal children, <laughs> and He's the perfect parent, the perfect heavenly Father. And so, I don't think we're going to be held accountable for necessarily the outcome, but how did we manage the responsibility? We're, we're going to see later in this message. I have responsibility as a parent, but my, what? my child also has responsibility in this process. Uh, my child has to make a decision to make uh, the faith I carry his own. He has to own it, take it, uh, begin to live it. And uh, so there's no ironclad guarantees, but it's very, very obvious we're going to see uh, to be able to pass on that baton of faith if it's, uh, if it's a reality in our hearts and we are taking that uh, accountability seriously and going to God in, to know his, and going to God in, to know his grace and the dispensing of that. Now look at the, uh, the next thing we were to target, and, and that's basically where we ended last week. So from this point on, it's all new material. It's all new. 
Second thing is, if I'm going to target God's purpose, what it means about being resolved uh, to parent my child and to take that stewardship God's given me, is I have to create in my child's heart a desire for God. Create in my child's heart a desire for God. Now, this brings us to, our, to the second meaning of that Hebrew word, kanak, which is, tr- which is translated in our English Bibles, train up. It not only means to dedicate, that word literally means, in the Hebrew text, to create a desire. The etymology of this word goes back to to the practice of these old uh, Hebrew midwives who immediately after the birth of a child would take crushed dates or olive oil and they would rub that on the baby's uh, uh, mouth, in the baby's mouth, for the purpose of stimulating to simulate sucking so that the baby would go immediately to the mother's breast to find nourishment. And so as that word was developed, it just simply meant to create a desire in the heart of someone. So the secret, and, and I, would, I would get this statement down in your notes. Uh, you're not going to see it there. Just write it down. The secret to parenting is creating a desire in your child for the things of God. That's the secret of parenting is to create in your child, a desire for the things of God. And, of course, the million-dollar question is, how do you do that? How do you do that? Because I think we all realize if we're talking about creating a desire in the heart of my child, uh, this is going to have to be a supernatural act that God is at work as I dispense my parenting responsibility. So how, how do I make my child hungry and thirsty for Christ, where they will be driven to Him with a desire to know Him and to follow Him. Well, will you take your Bibles and please turn to the book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy, and look at chapter 6, Deuteronomy 6. And let's see, we could take on more, but for the sake of our time, let's, well, let's stick with this, what we have in the notes, verses 4 through 7. We could go through verse 9, but let's just go 4 through 7. This is the uh, great uh, declaration that uh, uh, Jew, Jews would uh, make, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And then verse 5, so in verse 4 you have what? The revelation of, of the Lord God, who is one. And then verse 5, our response to that revelation uh, of God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your, what's it say? Heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. And you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. Look at the first thing there in your notes. God's truth must first be a reality in my heart. In other words, if I'm ever going to create in my child a heart for God, it's obvious that God's truth first has to be a reality, what? In my heart. In other words, how can you pass the baton of faith to your child if you don't possess it? You can only impart to another what you already have. 
The God you communicate to your child is the God whose life you live out before them, not necessarily the God you talk about. See, the problem is we are immunizing our children with Christian truth instead of infecting them with it. Now, you know what an immunization is. It's where you're given what? A little bit of the infection so that you don't get the what? The full-blown disease. Well, folks, let me tell you something. It is absolutely super from Satan's point of view for a child to be vaccinated with a mild case of Christianity to protect that child from being infected with the real thing. You know, Brother David on Sunday nights is talking about the fear of God. Well, let me share with you something that God showed me uh, years ago as a parent that actually gave me the fear of God in relationship uh, to parenting. Uh, God, God drove this into my heart right before I came to Edgewood Baptist Church. Uh, we just had uh, Jonathan and Christy at time. They were very small. I think Kathy was expecting Jamie. Uh, we were living over there on uh, Emerson Drive, Emerson and Floyd, in that little rental house. And uh, I, I, I was alone one day in the house and just, just, just praying, just reflecting on the scriptures. And I was in uh, Christ's messages uh, to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. And, I, you know, I, I just don't have time to really develop this, but I'll be able to get the heart of this across to you. And what struck me as I was just looking at that, studying that, was the, the last church is Laodicea. And... and and what was the primary characteristic of the church of Laodicea? You tell me. Yeah, lukewarm. They were complacent. They were apathetic. They thought they were rich spiritually. They thought they were seeing. They thought they had it together. But from Christ's perspective, he said, you're, just, he said, you're not hot. You're not cold. He said, I, I'd rather have you hot or cold than lukewarm. And as a matter of fact, he says, you know, where you're at, this nauseates me. And if you don't repent, he talks about it, he says, I'm just going to spew you out of my mouth. And then I notice that the church of Laodicea is mentioned in the book of Colossians. And, and the inference is that when Paul wrote the letter to the church at Colossae, that this was a church that was red hot for Christ, that was passionate for Christ. And the book of Colossians was written in the early 50 A.D.s, and the book of Revelation was written in the early 90 A.D.s. So, in a 40-year period of time, this church went from being red hot for Jesus Christ to something that made Jesus absolutely sick, that nauseated Christ. And, and Jesus even portrayed what? Standing outside the church trying to get back in. And, and I just, and, and it struck me. And I said, God, how, how does that happen in such a short period of time? And then... It's like God opened my eyes. And I saw in the message to the seven churches a downward decline, a, 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 just deterioration. And you go to Ephesus to see where it always starts. And you remember he commended Ephesus for so much. He said, you believe the word of God. You stand on the word of God against evil men. You're involved in ministry. You're doing so much for me. And he commended them for that, genuinely commended them. But he says, but I have one thing against you. 
And matter of fact, this was so serious. He says, if you do not repent, he says, you're going to lose your testimony. You're going to see your light snuffed out where you're in a position not to make a difference for me in this world where I've placed you. And what was the one thing he had against them? They had what? You tell me. They had left their first love. They had neglected worship. In other words, folks, their Christianity had just become more a routine than a relationship with Jesus. It had become more duty than delight. They had taken the focus off the preciousness, the glory, and the majesty of Jesus. And they had put it on all the things that they were doing. And as a result, don't miss this now, whenever you neglect worship, whenever you neglect devotion to Jesus, His value is going to begin to diminish. That's why worship is so important. Worship keeps the value, the worth of Jesus before us, where we get lost in His worth and His value, His beauty. And as we become lost in Him, that's when you're going to become found in His likeness, to be transformed by His Spirit, moment by moment, day by day, into a greater likeness of Jesus. So that, that's where it began. Just neglecting worship, neglecting devotion, losing that passionate love, uh, where they, uh, they, they didn't love him as they once did. And then when you go to Smyrna, he said their problem was they had a fear of suffering. He said, don't fear what you're about to suffer. And, and notice the connection. It is so simple. You are only going to suffer for what you value. Again, an inescapable reality. You are only going to suffer for what you value. And if I begin to see the value of Christ diminish in my eyes, it's obvious that other things are going to begin to come in and steal or divide my heart as a believer. And when those other things come in and His value is diminished, when it comes to crunch time and I have to make a stand for Jesus, I'm going to be eaten up with what? Fear and anxiety. This is how you explain while most believers in the family of God have never shared their faith with anyone, we've been gripped by fear. We've been gripped by anxiety. And then as you continue to go, you go to the next church, Pergamon, and what happens? They compromise the truth. Again, they lost the value of Christ. As they lose His value and other things come into their hearts and divide their heart, there now develops a fear of suffering, a fear of making a stand for Jesus. And because of that fear, they begin to what? Compromise. They begin to water down the truth so that they can comfortably fit into the world, into the culture in which they live. Instead of being salt and light. Remember we said true faith changes the direction of a person where he's out of sync with this world. Where he realizes he's a pilgrim, he's an alien in this world. This world is not my home. And I live by a different life as I follow Christ, different principles. And then you go to Thyatira and there's just outright disobedience. 
And compromise is always going to lead to disobedience. Compromise is just kissing the devil. That's all that is. And it's going to lead to disobedience. And then you get to Sardis, the next church, and it's hypocrisy. He says, you have a name that lives, but you are dead. And folks, when you compromise the truth and you begin to be disobedient to the Lord, sin has an impact on your life. And you have a tendency to do exactly what they did at Sardis. They just gloss it over. They put the spiritual mask on. It appears to everybody that they're this great Christian, but inside, there's sin that they cherish, that they embrace, that they hold on to. And then you come to Laodicea, and they add a little different layer. Not just the hypocrisy, but now they're just totally deceived. I mean, they've lived in their hypocrisy long enough where they think they got their act together. And it's the furthest thing from the truth. And they're just lukewarm. And, and, and you, know, you know, you prepare a kid's bath water. You don't want it hot. You don't want it cold. Because what? When they put their little toesies in there, they'll what? They'll jump. They'll, they'll kick. You make it lukewarm, they can just what? Ease on in. And see, when a Christian is lukewarm, when a church is lukewarm, it's just so easy for them just to comfortably fit into the existing culture and society, never know any attack, never to know any challenge, just to go about the routine of the worship services, of the fellowship, but really don't make a difference and take the battle to the devil and advance the cause of Christ in a lost world. And that's what God showed me. He said, Andy, that will happen to your life if you do not stay fresh, dynamic with me. And Andy, you need to see this in real, as a parent that, you know, if you have a fear of suffering, if that's where you are on this progression, you know what you're going to infect your child with? A fear to suffer for Christ. It's going to lead them to compromise. It's going to lead them to disobey. Again, I'm back to this fact that you can only impart to your child what you possess. So the key to parenting, here's the key, is maintaining a dynamic relationship with Christ where you are positively communicating to your child the reality of Christ in your life. And we're not talking about rules, we're talking about a relationship. Too many of us define our Christianity about all the things we don't do. How about what we do do? What makes us different? Our love, our vibrance, our faith, our hope. See, that's what makes our faith contagious within a home within our, for our child. So, folks, here it is. Before I can say, Lord, change my child, I need to pray what? Lord, change me. So change me where I will know an authentic Christianity. Because I'm telling you something, folks. I've been in the ministry for well over 40 years now. Most young people, and this isn't always the case. Like I said, there's no guarantees in parenting. I've seen some of the most dynamic individuals walking with the Lord that have practiced all these principles, and, they, and they'll have a child that still embarks on rebellion. Because, again, that child at some point has to make this his own. But, again, it's obvious. 
that you won't have a chance for that to happen unless you're living out the reality of this. And then go back to Deuteronomy 6, 7. Look at the next point. God's truth must first be a reality in my heart. And then second, get this down in your notes, God's truth must then be lived out in my home. A reality in my heart, and then that truth has got to be lived out in my home. In my relationship with my wife, in my relationship with my children, the way I conduct myself in the community, at work, the things I invest in, the way I use my time. Verse 7, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. Now, folks, hear me very, very carefully right now. This verse, this verse is not talking about formal teaching. It's not talking about giving your child a lecture. It's not talking about sermonizing. Character training flows out of a parent's day-to-day spontaneous encounters with his or her child. You simply take the opportunities that are afforded you in everyday life's experiences to share with your child how to look at life, how to look at relationships from a godly perspective and then respond in a godly manner. I mean, you may be watching a television show and something comes up, a wonderful opportunity to, to, to show your child there's a difference between worldly values and godly values. And again, we're not talking about rules. We're talking about something that flows out of a love relationship with Jesus Christ that produces life, not legalism, but life, not duty, but delight. The main point to see here, the main point to see here is that parenting never stops. You are always, you are always teaching your kids something. You pass the baton of faith to your child moment by moment in a thousand seemingly insignificant words, activities, and conversations. In other words, just as in a relay race, the baton, the baton is not taught, but it is caught. It's the same way here, what we're talking about. See, as you, as you possess that dynamic relationship with Christ in your heart, and you live that relationship out, and, again, and let me emphasize again, we're not talking about perfection. Let me state this. Everybody hearing, especially those of us, and I'm number one, who have made tragic failures as a parent, and even in life, Your child can handle your imperfections. What they cannot handle is hypocrisy. What a child wants to see is that you have such a dynamic relationship with Christ that when you do blow it, when you do fail in your human limitations and frailty, you own up to it. You own up to it. You know, a fascinating fascinating study was done of thousands and thousands of young people. And and they were asked this simple question. What would you most want to see from your parents? What would you want your parents most to give you? And the researchers were absolutely surprised, astounded by, by by the answers. Now, the kids said it in their own words, different ways. But when you put it together, you know what the, the number one answer was? That my parents would love one another. Number one, 
Now, what I'm getting at is the number two. This is the one, this is the one that blew him out of the water. The second most given answer, that my daddy would be willing to admit he's wrong when he's wrong. And, and us men can understand that. I struggle with this. We have the tendency to think, if I own up to my failure, my mistakes, I'm going to lose respect. I'm going to lose control. It's just the opposite. It's as you become transparent and open and honest that you connect with your mate, when you connect with your children, when they see that you're real and that you're struggling just like they are and you're dependent and you're desperate and you're determined to get to Jesus because he's your only hope. And let me tell you something else, dads. If you never own up to your mistakes, why do you think typically... When a child gets in trouble, the last person they go to is their dad, and typically they'll go in first to their mom because, see, dad's never made any mistakes. Dad won't understand because, in essence, you've lived a life of, what are we talking about, hypocrisy because reality is you have made mistakes. I don't care if you're Billy Graham. I don't care if you're Brother David. I don't care if you're Andy Merritt. I don't care who you are. Folks, I blow it every, I, I don't know that there are many days that go by where to my wife or to one of my children or many of them, I'm having to say, please forgive me, I blew it. That was a terrible attitude. You know, maybe what I said was right, but the way I said it was just a, being an absolute arrogant snot. <laughs> or are you losing your temper or whatever it might be? Well, you just acknowledge that. Acknowledge that. And then ask them to be patient with you. And to trust that God will work in you. So God's truth must first be, I'm not going to finish today, am I? God's truth must first be a reality in your heart. And then God's truth must then be lived out in your home. And we'll stop with this today and then we'll pick up. Uh, God's truth will then be instilled in my child's habits. So where does it begin? God's truth has to be a reality in my heart. Then... That truth has to be lived out in the home before my child. Again, not so much what I say, but how I live, where they see I have a dynamic relationship with Christ, and I'm positively communicating that to my children. I am aggressively. See, I'm a deliberate parent. I'm parenting with intentionality, with resolve. So, I'm, man, I'm looking for any and every opportunity I have as we're driving to school or we're sitting in the living room or at supper or they bring up something that came up and happened in school. I'm looking for every opportunity I can to inject Christ into this to inject the Scripture into this, a biblical perspective, to begin to help them see the difference, to see the consequences of sin, to see also the consequences of obedience, to where you're led to true fulfillment in Christ. And see, that last one, God's truth will then be instilled in my children's child's habits. Again, we don't have to make this complicated. If God's truth, here it is, if God's truth is not lived out in your home, it's never going to be in the habit of your children because why? Habits are learned in the home. This truth is so simple, but it's so powerful. You know, if God's truth is not in your heart, think about this. If God's truth is not in your heart, it would never be in your home because it's the home where the true heart is revealed. You cannot hide yourself once you get home. 
your marriage partner, your children, those, they know who you really are, warts and all. And in the same way, if God's truth is not being lived out in my home, it's never going to become the habit of my child because habits are learned in the home. So look at that first key, and we'll end. We'll stop right here. The key, to pass the baton of faith to my child, I must run the parenting race with one aim. Win my child for Christ. Win my child for Christ. And folks, as we come to the end of this message, I hope, I pray, the last thing that I want to do is heap condemnation and guilt and burden on parents. I hope I've communicated. There's no ironclad guarantees. I'm not trying to hold up a standard of perfection. I'm, I'm really trying to say, get you to the place where we're willing to be honest with our kids, transparent with our kids, Yes, with our failures, with our mistakes, with our shortcomings. But let them know in the midst of that, I'm wrestling to get to Jesus. I'm dependent on His grace. And, I, and I'm praying for you, but would you please pray for your daddy? Because I need God's help just as much or more than you do. So again, I'm not trying to hold up some standard that's going to crush us. But I am trying to lay down some principles that will aid us in being successful to pass that baton of faith to our children. Father, thank you for uh, the challenge today from your word. Um, and Father, uh, as a dad of ten kids, I'll acknowledge right now, because my wife knows this, my children know this, uh, I've had more failures than I've had successes as a parent. And so, Lord, we just want to be honest about where we are. Because that's the beginning of it all, of getting to reality. Of coming to that place of a dynamic relationship with you as believers. Of uh, tearing away the mass turning from the hypocrisy and just getting real, just getting real with our kids. But getting real in such a way that, yes, I may have made some mistakes. Yes, I may be really struggling, but my eyes are on Jesus. And that's the direction of my life. And you, ought to, and you can see that this is the direction of my life. And that where we just develop or, or that contagious atmosphere, that godly atmosphere in our homes that will be so real that it will create in our children a hunger and a thirst to know that reality. And so, Father, give us the grace... I guess it comes down to this. If our children are going to reject Christianity, Father, give us the grace to live out the real thing before them so that they reject the real thing. Because, Lord, I've seen so many young people that have turned from Christianity, but what they turned away from wasn't the real deal. Because all they got in their home was a lot of rules but no relationship. A lot of legalism, no life. A lot of duty, no delight.
They never saw a person passionately in love with Christ where they could honestly say, Jesus is my first love, my greatest passion and pursuit. So, Lord, bring us to that place, whether as parents, grandparents, as influencers, and as teachers, all realms of life, that you would use us to put Christ on display, which in his name we do pray. Amen. As the invitation is extended, again, this message has been strongly directed to believers about having an influence uh, with our children, uh, passing the, uh, that baton of faith on to the next generation as parents, grandparents, teachers, at the workplace, where, school, wherever we might be. And so well, how has God spoken to you? You know, don't, don't run from the truth. Uh, embrace it. As I shared last week, there can always be a new beginning with God. Amen? There can always be a new beginning. I don't care how badly you perceive that you have failed as a mom or a dad or as a grandparent or as a teacher or what, on the workplace, wherever, school. There can always be a new beginning. Let this day be that day where you acknowledge your failure. You embrace God to know His grace. And then from this moment on, you remain not only honest with God, but honest with your kids. And you just be real before them in your own struggle to follow Jesus. But let them know the reason you're struggling is because Jesus is worth it all. He's worth it all. And there's nothing more valuable to acquire in life uh, than Him. If you're here and you don't know Lord Jesus, I don't know that that, that was a bad message for you to hear. <laughs> about the worth, the beauty, the value of Christ and to embrace Him knowing that He loves you, He died for you for the penalty of your sin, He rose again, He's alive He wants your heart as His home as you would invite Him in to forgive you of your sins to take control of your life so I'll be standing here to greet anyone that has a decision of any nature if you've been visiting and God's leading you to unite with our church family you come, it would be our joy to receive you so please stand as the invitation is extended